late august things are heating up in the football world and i'm here with my good friend matt betts and we're going to be talking some dfs 101 today so i'm pumped just about football happening what about you man let's go kyle man this is it's time dude fantasy football is here uh we are in the heat of draft season football is just a few weeks away and of course that means dfs is just a few weeks away so like you i am Super excited to get into tonight's show. I, I love talking strategy. I know player analysis is fun and kind of talking about our player takes is always fun. But for me, going back to the start of everything and the basis of your like your knowledge about DFS and kind of your strategy, really, I think is where you can get a leg up on your opponents and really set yourself up for success. So I'm really excited for tonight's show. Yeah, it's a DFS 101 podcast might sound for some people like way too elementary. Like, all right, I've... I've done this before, I've, I've played DFS, but honestly, for a lot of us, we have to change the way we think when we play DFS. You know, if you've been doing best ball drafts, you know, we've participated in a couple of industry drafts. Right now, we're in a writer's league draft together. Um, with DFS, you have to change your mindset, and we'll talk about this today, but with DFS, you have to shift every single week and kind of restart you know with a redraft team you are you have your crew you're working the waiver wire with dfs you're having to make sure that you don't just abandon ship because you had a bad week so this is a great episode i love talking strategy as well it's just the way my brain thinks i'm a teacher so i love explaining but hopefully for listeners out there you guys uh, are looking at our content that we have out on our website at the fantasyfootballers.com you're listening to the main podcast, but this podcast is a chance to take it a step further and you take that addiction you have to fantasy football and every single week you get to step it up a notch with DFS. So we're excited you guys are in. If you want to go to iTunes, subscribe and review, that would be incredible. My mother-in-law listens to this podcast I just found out. That's um, excellent. <laughs> she doesn't know a thing about I got to say one DFS. thing too, my... my uh, my wife now for the last uh, week and a half, any show I've been on, including this one, she will listen back to and say, did I get a shout out? Did you guys give me a shout out yet? I'm like, all right, babe, like we've, we have, but it's over. Like <laughs> it's time to move on. So yes, she's listening to the show as well. So this is super exciting to have our families listening, listening in too. Yeah, we need that mother-in-law shout out, the wife shout out. You know, maybe we'll keep a running meter of just who we get, who gets the shout outs. Um, you know, maybe we'll throw it out to random people out on Twitter with our mailbag later. But um, we got an awesome show. And really for the rest of August, we're going to dive into some tools and some research of how we approach DFS each week. Talk about the DFS pass, which right now, if you want to go online and use the DFS pod promo code, then you can get the DFS pass for uh, a little bit off the $60 price tag and you get the UDK for free. Um, you're really getting a steal. And we've talked about this the last couple of episodes, but we contribute to that DFS pass every single week. So when it's week one, you're going to get the content that you need. You're going to get the Vegas totals. You're going to get a first look pricing guide. And then we're going to talk about specific matchups. You're doing a Thursday uh, night preview column. So there's some awesome content in there. And the DFS pass is something that everyone should check out at thefantasyfootballers.com. Anything you want to add about the DFS pass? I mean, just the value is insane for what you get and the price you have to pay to get the UDK for free is is awesome. Um, and then you talk about in season. I mean, I hope our listeners listening to this podcast combined with reading the DFS past content is just going to pay for itself. You know, 60 bucks, you play a couple of slates throughout the year. It should pay for itself. So, yeah, it's it's an awesome deal. Yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks uh, over with fantasy footballers. We've had our UDK ramp up, our DFS pass coming out, just added some new riders that I'm really excited about. And then just a selfless, uh, selfish kind of plug here, we uh, just came out with a book uh, on Amazon called Fantasy Football Unleashed, and I helped got uh, to edit that content, something that Andy, Mike, and Jason have kind of put together over the years. So that was a fun little ad that came out this week. It was free to everyone that's part of the Foot Clan. 
Um, so it was a pretty exciting week, but turning the page, looking at week one, I want to get us a, a quick question. And looking at DraftKings and looking at FanDuel, we've talked about how the prices came out. And one of the things we do in the DFS Pass each week is on Tuesday, we have a first look article that I get to write where we look at how the prices uh, kind of affect the way that you construct your roster. So just looking at week one, let's start off with DraftKings. Uh, who are some players that you would consider underpriced for week one? Yeah, we talked about this player on the last show in, in best ball values. Terry McLaurin currently priced on DraftKings at $5,600 is the 25th wide receiver in pricing. And we talked about that being his ADP on the last show and, and about how ridiculous that value is. Um, on average, last year, he was priced on, on DraftKings at 5800 So he's less than what he was last year which for a player entering year two, hoping to take a massive step forward, we would hope to see um, that pricing, well, maybe not hope to see it go up, but expect it to go up. And now I think we're getting him at a great value here early in the season. And he gets to take on my Philadelphia Eagles. And as I've said before, I'll believe that secondary is good when I see it. So I'll be playing Terry McLaurin in week one, no doubt about it. Yeah, remember he went off week one last year, right, against your Eagles. And it seems like he's priced at his floor um, right now. He's only going to be more expensive so yeah, I love that pick. I know it's a homer pick because uh, he's your boy, but um, yeah, oh I, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind putting him uh, on there again. He's your my guy uh, that's coming out this week too for our, for our writers. I'm gonna go with a team that for some reason, although they were the runner up uh, in the Super Bowl, uh, the the 49ers are kind of criminally underpriced. Let's just start with Tevin Coleman. Is he the starting running back? I, I don't know. It, it could be Mostert. could be Coleman. But Coleman right now is at 4,200 on, on DraftKings. That's the RB 47. I mean, that sounds ridiculous that he's buried that low. And if you think he's the guy, I don't mind taking a stab at him as your RB2 or your flex spot in DraftKings. And then also, if you want to stack some 49ers, if you want Kittle in there, maybe you think Brandon Ayuk is somebody week one you want to go after. I love Jimmy G. He's at 5,800. He's the QB 15. And if you look at Jimmy G's schedule for the first couple of weeks, oh, um, I really juicy. like it. It's juicy. He's, he's much more handsome than the other Jimmy G uh, in the NFL, Jimmy Graham. Um, and <laughs> By a so, long shot. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I've been calling uh, Jimmy G as just handsome Jimmy. And then Jimmy Graham is just Jimmy Grandpa. That's what I've been uh, referring <laughs> like to. Or, or the less handsome Jimmy G. But uh, I love those 49ers. Um, yeah, they're just underpriced. QB 15. Uh, I'm coming out with another article talking about pricing for each position. And honestly, the way that you save the most in DK is if you find the quarterbacks that are cheap. They're just priced a little different than FanDuel, where they're kind of all bunched together. In DraftKings, you can find these massive values. So on FanDuel, who's somebody you like? Yeah, for me on FanDuel, I'm looking at Kenyon Drake's price tag of $6,600 as the 14th uh, most expensive at running back. And he's ranked behind Mark Ingram, which I can't fathom in week one DFS with the fact that we know Kenyon Drake is the guy. And of course, there's rumors about J.K. Dobbins, but we do expect Mark Ingram to be the guy most of the season. But at that price tag, at RB14, where you know he's he's coming out, he's going to be the guy guaranteed week one. He's going to get a ton of volume, and the the price might reflect the matchup a little bit. He's taking on the Niners, and so on the surface it looks really scary. But that defense over the second half of the year just absolutely you know crumbled. Uh, injuries and and that sort of thing kind of really affected them. So. I'm not really convinced that they can't run the ball. We saw the, the Cardinals offense be able to be matchup proof last year. And so I'm not worried about the matchup at RB 14 pricing for me. Uh, I'll have a lot of Kenyon Drake again in week one. Yeah, I feel like with the Cardinals, the concept that most people just put in front of them is that they want to go up tempo. You know, they, they have Cl Cliff Kingsbury. They want to run this kind of air raid offense. But like towards the end of the year, that team was bent on running the ball. And Kenyon Drake was a league winner for a lot of people in redraft. But yeah, that's that price saves you a ton of money. I'm going to go with a pair of tight ends. I want to point out tight end is rough when it comes to DFS because it's very clear that you have to spend up to get someone like George Kittle. So I said earlier, I, I love Jimmy G, but if you're going to stack him with someone, Kittle's the obvious choice, but you're paying $8,000. Now, granted, it's against the Cardinals, who were the worst 
against tight end. And so I feel like that's going to be chalk. I feel like people are going to look at those rankings and see the green number, which we'll talk more about those numbers and how they affect people's psychology and just the way that they get players. But um, people are going to look at Kittle and he's $8,000, but there's a pair of tight ends that if you want to punt the position, I feel like they have relatively safe floors. Um, One of them is Hayden Hurst of the Falcons, 5,200. And they play the Seahawks. The Seahawks gave up the third most points against tight ends last year. And I think he's safe. I think he's a, a safe, you know, four or five targets, maybe get in the end zone. And you've more than doubled or tripled uh, your price tag. And then another tight end that's super cheap is Ian Thomas of the Panthers, 5,100. We'll be talking a lot about the Panthers this year as a team that we like to stack. And if you like Teddy Bridgewater, who's another cheap quarterback, Ian Thomas is someone that I highly recommend for you guys as well. So let's get into the main portion of what we're talking about today, and that's DFS 101. We're just going to talk about starting a foundation of how do you think about DFS. And that's kind of the key point is we're changing the way that we think about fantasy football. That That's the biggest difference, I would say, is just the mindset of a redraft player and a DFS player. So what would you just say before we get into our main points? What's the biggest difference for you when you think about plugging in your lineups for redraft and then selecting based on salary cap for DFS? How does how do you change the way you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the simplest answer is just that it's a one week season, you know, and in in redrafts, you, you can get away with kind of playing some like low upside guys and, and kind of get by with eight points from your tight end and you're happy because you're running back to great or, or quarterback went off or whatever it is in DFS. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this here in, in detail. If you're playing in one of those bigger tournaments, I mean, you're shooting for the moon. You're, you're trying to go for, for it all. And you're also calculating other risks too. So it's really about kind of understanding what your lineup is trying to achieve. Are you trying to beat one person or are you trying to beat like, a thousand, you know, or, or 5,000 or whatever it is. And so again, we'll talk more about that here in a minute, but that mindset just changes so much about how you go into your lineup building compared to being able to just beat one person in a redraft league. Yeah. Another thing just to keep in mind is you can't see your opponent, you know, until lock. So you don't really know what's going on. And so with redraft, you're, you're basing your matchup on, you know, this player has a giant ceiling and I need this because the the guy that I'm playing this week, you know, he's projected for 30 more points than me. So I need to go for the moon, put in Deshaun Jackson or something like that. With DFS, everyone is setting their lineups and you're blindly just going through the process thinking that, hey, I, I think this player is chalk this week. And that's the term that gets used a lot is just this guy is someone that everyone's going to plug in 25, 30% of the lineups in a tournament are going to have this guy. And you just don't know. The Where that shows up the most, honestly, is just when you play head-to-heads. And that's something that I think if you're starting DFS for the first time, you need to start small. And in head-to-head matchups, you're not having to hit the nuts every single time and have all of your players go off. So if DFS is something that you're starting off with, cash games, which is really my first point here, cash games is something that you need to commit to for at least a season. Contest selection is something that I feel like I was so bad at when I first learned DFS. I I saw the commercials. I saw the guys getting handed these huge checks and I said, well, that's clearly going to be me because I am different. (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) Isn't that what we all think? I mean, yes, (laughs) I feel like whenever you ever have those contests uh, for school, like an elementary, maybe you had a bingo night or just just something like that where you're like, I'm going to be the one to win the big prize. Um, it's clearly going to be me because I have something special. No one else does. And in DFS, it's just who has the information, who's able to adapt. And with cash games, you're actually lowering that barrier of being able to play someone else, um, because you're just playing against one lineup and your mentality shifts. So one of the things that I could tell people is that when you select your contest, start off by 80% of your contest being cash and 20% of them being GPP. Uh, I think that's helpful because you can burn through a lot of money real quick in, in really big tournaments called GPP, grand prize pools. And you'll find out really quickly that, man, I can't keep up with these other people that day in, day out, this is what they do. I mean, people for a living play DFS. This is what they, this is their job. So for me, that was a mistake that I made early 
is I just thought if I just win big, then I don't have to play these little $1, $2 games because I'm going to win the 200,000. And so why would I, why, why would it matter? Did you have a similar uh, problem when you first started playing? Oh, 100%. Uh, just like you, you know, you, you see the, you know, whatever platform you're using, it, it tells you, you know, how many entries there are. It tells you how much it costs to enter. It tells you what the prize pool is. And so you see, oh, okay, I can enter $5 and I can win $200,000. Like that's the contest for me, obviously. Like why would you play anything else? And I was wildly unsuccessful my first season doing that because just like you, I wanted to go for it all. And then as I played more and more and more, I just understood, you know, that'll happen every once in a while, maybe once a season you win a huge tournament like that. But really it comes down to being able to play smart fantasy football and knowing how to win consistently playing in those cash lineups. Like you're saying you're, you're playing against one opponent or you're playing against a couple of opponents and just, you know, statistically speaking, it's easier to win. And, and so really um, my account <laughs> reflected that <laughs> over the course of several seasons, but not in the first. And I had to learn the hard way for sure. There's some people out there in DFS uh, Twitter community that I think are really good at explaining this. We had a writer that was with us last year, Mitch Carl, who does Rise or Fall. And he explained to me that first-time players get so giddy because they see the prize pool when they don't realize if you're in a giant tournament that has a max entry of 150, the best players are going to enter 150 times. So they have 150 shots where I was taking two or three and thinking, man... If, if my guy goes off, I'm going to win. And so another piece of advice with contest selection is if you are going to be in a tournament, start small. You know, on DraftKings, they have tournaments that are, you know, a nickel, uh, a quarter. And then you look at, at yourself and say, you know what, if there's 150 lineups there, then I'm putting in about $35. And that's a, that's a big difference between saying I'm putting in one entry for $10 or for the Millie Maker, you know, I'm putting in $25 and let's see what happens. Uh, I just want to encourage people that you start small. So think about $10, okay? I think $10 is an easy number to start with. Put eight of that into cash games, all right? Because it's, it'll be very easy for you. Let's say if you hit half of those, you make that money back. And then with that other $2, spend it on GPP. And obviously $10, you can put that in any increment you want. But that's a really good starting place for kind of how you allocate your funds at the very beginning because after week two or three, you bombed, you went for all those tournaments, you're going to want to quit and you're going to want to go back to a redraft, but we're going to try to keep people to stay in the conversation, to not quit, to go slow. I know that's not fun in this day and age, but to go slow and over time you begin to realize what your strengths and weaknesses are as a player. And I think with cash, you get to be in a pool that allows for someone to grow and learn. Yeah, for sure. And and real quick too, we're not discouraging people from playing in those big tournaments. We're going to have a ton of content about how to succeed in those uh, in the DFS pass and on our show. But like you're saying, if you're new to DFS, I 100% agree. That's the place to start. And when you go into doing those cash lineups, which essentially is you're playing one against one, one other random player on DraftKings or on FanDuel, you can actually sometimes select your opponent when you do that, um, you can also create your own contest and have other people join it with you. And, and what I want to talk about here just for a minute to let people know about that is you can actually look at the player's profile before you play against them to understand what type of player they are. There are very smart people who know how to take advantage of first time players in DFS. They will enter like $200 worth of $1 entries or something like that, and they'll create these contests and have random people that are not knowledgeable about what they're doing just entering the contest entering the contest entering the contest and all of a sudden you have this this person who knows so so much and this person who knows nothing playing against each other and you lose all the lineups so what i'm saying is take a look at who you're playing take a look at how many contests they've entered try to find someone else that you are similar at as far as your profile your history of how many contests you've played etc cetera, etc cetera. and on fanduel specifically i'm not sure about DraftKings, but i know on fanduel specifically you can um, you can enter contests that are e experienced only or beginners only if you are a beginner or if you're looking for more of a challenge. So the overall take home is, is kind of look at the opponents, understand that you can have an edge in doing so by by making sure you're not going on, up against something that's tough to beat or um, vice versa. If you are looking to take advantage of your opponents, you can do that as well uh, on those sites. So I, re I recommend that quite a bit. 
Yeah, and and like you said, you can choose your opponent sometimes, you know, when you, if you want to do a head-to-head. So take on a friend. Like, there's nothing wrong with that if you want to wager something. Like, those are some really easy stuff. My home league, for a while, what we did is, you know, we would get maybe five or six of us from the league, and we would just start a little simple little pool and, you know, put in a dollar or two, and whoever won, won that week. And so it just... There's ways to practice without blowing your budget. So what's uh, what's number two on this? Yeah, the next one uh, for me is. Or did you want to go next? Oh yeah, sorry, I'm I'm going next. All right, you go oh, next. I was thrown off there by a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's knowing your scoring. Um, for those of you that are used to your league and the, and the settings that are in your league, DraftKings and FanDuel are very different. In fact, the scoring and the way that the salaries work are incredibly different in terms of how you're constructing your lineup. For one, DraftKings is full PPR. So you're going to get some monster games from running backs like Christian McCaffrey that uh, catch the ball. You also get some crazy bonuses. So they add three points if you get over 300 yards passing or three yards if you get over 100 yards rushing or receiving. There's some crazy kind of scores that you can get. I remember last year, Will Fuller was in the 50s when he went off on the Falcons because he went for 200 yards. There's just some bonuses that need you need to think about that and saying, if my guy hits 100, he's also getting an extra three points. So you can't just use the standard scoring that you see on certain websites or in your league. And then in FanDuel, it's half point scoring. And so I, I noticed that when I play across different sites, uh, I get giddy because I look at certain players and I value them a certain way. And but really, you have to think about them completely differently from each other in a way that I need to make sure that my wide receivers are guys that can hit, you know, five to six catches because I, I want to boost those kind of points. What do you what do you think just in terms of where you play? Do you play more DK or FanDuel? Yeah, I play a lot more on on DK on DraftKings. Um, I don't know why. It's kind of just a preference thing. I, I like the interface a little bit more. But regardless, I do play on both. Um, I also agree that you need to be mindful of the scoring system because like you said, and I think it really matters too for quarterbacks specifically, the biggest name that comes to mind with this, with the 300-yard bonus in a game, is Matt Ryan. You're an Atlanta Falcons fan. You know how much they throw <laughs> the football. Um, and he was hitting that bonus consistently last year and i project them to do that again this year so a player like that where in your redraft leagues you know we always talk about we want those rushing quarterbacks because they provide so much value in fantasy and it's still russian true in DFS. quarterbacks yes russian but quarterbacks russian quarterbacks exactly <laughs> <laughs> any of those in the league i don't, I don't think so <laughs> um because they provide so much value on the ground um and it just helps in in redraft and dfs but in this specific format with with DraftKings, um, you can get those boom weeks even with guys that throw the ball a ton like a Matt Ryan. So uh, I do follow it quite a bit for that reason specifically. Yeah, with DK, it's it's you have to be able to stack the quarterback and the wide receiver and expect if you're in a tournament, you know, you're needing about 70 points from those two players. You're, you're asking for 30 points from your quarterback and then you're asking for your wide receiver to hit any, upwards of 35 to maybe even 40 points to win a tournament. So it's really key to to notice that. Like if Drew Brees is going off, then so will Michael Thomas. So stacking with those two players makes sense, but the bonuses would take you even more over the top if you think Brees is going to hit 300 and Thomas is going to hit uh, 100 himself. So I play more on FanDuel. Uh, I'm used to that. It's the baller's kind of preferred scoring system is half point. I feel like um, DK, there's sometimes these outlier performances that I just... I'm not able to see, but I do play on both. I think it's hard and we'll get to maybe a question later. If you're trying to play a ton on both, you need to commit to, I'm just looking at my DraftKings lineups when I'm constructing. All right, finish that process and you can come back later and then just work on your FanDuel ones. But uh, if you're a beginner, pick one, start off, see if you like it, if you like the interface or whatnot. Um, In season, we'll be playing underdog uh, week to week. So th- there's, there's lots of great formats. Yeah. I think for me too, you know, <laughs> there's just something fun about like logging into DraftKings and seeing those little green dots go across the line, um, which you don't really get on FanDuel unless you open up the specific scoring tab. So I think that's why I prefer DraftKings, but, uh, I like both and I, and I play on both, uh, my next kind of strategy piece. And really it's, it's not even a strategy. I just want to put this out there for our listeners. You need to have a long-term mindset 
in DFS to be profitable long-term. And what I mean by that, plain and simple, is you are going to lose. It is going to happen at points throughout the year. And the average DFS player, like you said at the beginning, can get really discouraged early on. And that was me. I was like, man, I know a lot about fantasy. I, I listen to podcasts. I listen to all these smart people. Why am I losing money? And you have to understand, especially in these tournaments type type of settings, weird things happen and guys that shouldn't perform well do and guys that are supposed to don't and let you down and in redraft it doesn't hurt that bad because it's only one week and you can come back and bounce back next week but in dfs you're putting all that effort into just like that one week and so on the surface it's like oh my gosh this is crushing like how am i gonna come back from this but that is how you succeed long term is understanding that's going to happen but if your process is correct and it's that old saying process over results right if your if your process is correct you did your homework you know you listened to the show you've you read read the articles you did all these things that you were supposed to you understood the pricing etc you you did the right thing and long term that's going to pay off so stick with it stay with the grind all season you know i encourage people to to set a, a certain amount of money that you're going to play with from week one all the way through if you're playing in the playoffs january and say this is my budget for the season i know that even if i lose a little bit in early in the season i can come back and finish strong end of the year so it will happen losses do happen in fantasy and in in redraft leagues and certainly in dfs but if you have a good process and we're going to help you find that process uh, you'll be profitable long term for sure yeah you have to prepare yourself to be kicked in the groin over and oh, over, and over yes. again <laughs> oh yes oh yes and then, you know, I think it's helpful. You get to learn from some of your mistakes. And so like you're saying, you get, you set that amount. Let's say, let's just take a hundred dollars. You're taking a hundred dollars at the beginning of the year and saying, I'm going to start with that budget. I'm talked it over with my spouse and said, I'm not going to keep depositing our rent money into DraftKings because I lost it all first week and then have a spreadsheet. That's what I did a couple years ago was I wanted to stay accountable to see week to week did I really do that great? You know, you can look back a week before and be like, man, my team went off. And you're like, well, I actually only profited about $5 that week because <laughs> I spent the rest on, you know, on, you know, too many big tournaments. And so Still get a spreadsheet. <laughs> it was profitable. We're going places. Uh, but I, yeah, for me, I need to see it in front of me to be able to stay with it. There's weeks that you go down a ton. There's weeks where you go up. And then what's important is to kind of see what your return is on your investment to also just see how much have you invested? Have you put money back in? It's really easy when you put your card in, uh, especially if you have issues, gambling issues, like to just keep putting money back in. But the strategy part is what moves me, why I want to stay with it. You know, I want to, I want to be able to construct a team so that that week I saw something that maybe no one else did. And if I'm accountable week one, week two, week three, then when I get to week four, and let's say I didn't do quite the, the amount of research or it was just a crazy week, then I I can't just throw it all away. I get to go back to that same process uh, that really matters. So yeah, the long-term mindset really matters. It's a long season, right? I mean, you have to stay with it. Is there a point of the season that you feel like people kind of wane? Yeah, I mean, there's so much excitement in week one for football in general, including you and I. And so people will play a lot of DFS in those weeks. The the casual people will come out and play. And then all of a sudden, I feel like in the middle of the season, there's kind of a lull where if you didn't succeed early, you're like, all right, maybe I'm not a good DFS player. Maybe I'm just going to stick to my redraft and, and not really play DFS. And then we kind of see it come back where people then in redraft leagues, if they're out of the playoffs or if they're not in you know the championship, they're like, all right, well, I still want fantasy in my life, which obviously, of course you do. Then you're like, all right, I'm back in on DFS. So I feel like it kind of has this like roller coaster effect where people fall off after about the first month of the season and get back on board uh, in the end. Yeah, it is a roller coaster. And week to week, I find myself, you know, rooting for players I never thought I would root for because they're in my DFS lineup. So it makes football that much more enjoyable. That's the beauty of fantasy. I care about a Browns Dolphins game. Oh well, yeah, you know whatever, whatever everyone the matters. matchup is. <laughs> Especially the the one of the craziest parts of when you get on DK or, or FanDuel is you you look at defenses so differently because defensive strategy in in these kind of matchups, especially in tournaments, is you really have to have the team that scored one or two touchdowns that week to make a difference, and those are really hard. I mean, the best players in the world know that defense is 
the hardest position in DFS to to figure out. And so you get to root for a team. I remember a couple of years ago, I had the Jets and they scored two touchdowns and I thought I was the best. I thought I was the best player that ever lived. Um, <laughs> I think I barely cashed that week, but I, I chose the right defense. So let's go with this last one. I feel a lot of energy on this last one, a lot of energy about this topic as a teacher. So I used to teach high school English. We had to create all of our lesson plans through this idea, this theory called backwards design. And maybe you've thought about the concept before of reverse engineering a product, like where you start kind of with this product and then you deconstruct it and then you figure out what it is. And then you kind of see the plans and everything out in front of you. Uh, I feel like with fantasy sometimes, especially us that, that live and breathe this stuff, we write about it, we're on podcasts. We look so We look at what happened last year as kind of what's going to be prescriptive of this year. But with DFS, I feel like you have to start thinking backwards. You have to start with an end in mind. So you have to be start with a narrative of what you think is going to happen before you select any players. Even for me, before I look at prices is I get my notebook out. I look at all the matchups and I look at the Vegas lines. We look at the Vegas lines because they're good at it. They make money off it. This is this is what they do. Don't mess with Vegas. That should be the, a new. That's that's new, the uh, the sixth tip here. Don't mess with Vegas. <laughs> don't mess with Vegas because you're going to lose. And so you may win one week. You know where they project a line and say, "Hey, the Saints and the Falcons are going to go for 55 points." When a lot of those games have gone under, I know because I've watched them recently. But long term, you're going to lose to Vegas. And so you need to first, when you when you kind of think about constructing uh, your roster for the week, calculate a narrative. Look at the, the matchup and say, I think this game's going to go over. For some reason, I think the pace, I think this game is going to go over. And right now, Vegas only has it at about 45. I think it's more like 47 to 50 points. And maybe you have a slight edge there. No one can predict the games that go 60 or, you know, 70 points or remember that Rams Chiefs game a couple years ago. Although I it feel went, like people did predict that. I think everyone that was one like, this for is like 130 points. Insane. Yeah, that was wild, man. What a fun game. That was I think that was a Thursday night game. Um, it, was, it was the color rush jerseys. Monday um, night. Monday night game. What, was it really? Yeah. I, I remember watching it and feeling like this is what fantasy football is all about. It was just on like a month ago, like still in kind of in quarantine. And I put it on the TV. I was like, oh, this game was amazing. (laughs) My wife was like, this already happened. I was like, yes, but we need to relive this. This was amazing. So (laughs) I just rewatched it not too long ago. (laughs) I feel like that should be like the tape that every fantasy football uh, player looks at and just says, all right, this is what I live for, like 70 points on each side. But you need to calculate a narrative first. And then from there, you need to identify the inefficiencies. And that's what we talked about at the beginning. And our quick question is, look at our pricing. Look, we have a first look article that says, hey, this guy, for some reason, he was in the Monday night game. And so his price didn't really change this week. You can actually take advantage of that. And then also look at how much a player is going to be rostered. We have projections in our DFS pass through Fanshare where we see how often a player was tagged and we can project where their roster uh, percentage is going to be. And that's really helpful to figure out, hey, everybody this week is talking about Mark Ingram. I thought he was really good when I looked at the Ravens matchup. I looked at the narrative. I'll have him in my lineups, but it seems like everybody else is on him. And so you get to identify the inefficiencies. And the last thing you do is make your lineups. And notice how I said that's the last thing that you do. You calculate a narrative. So you start with the end in mind. I think the Saints are going to go over on their total. You identify the inefficiencies. You say, here's the pricing. Here's who I think is going to be rostered. And then the last thing you do is you stack and you mix. So every team, I looked at this, every team that won the Millie Maker last year stacked their quarterback with somebody else on the same team. And that makes sense. But every single team it doesn't mean that everybody was on that exact quarterback. It was somebody saying, I'm going to take this quarterback and I'm going to mix and match their options. Last year, if you had a Jameis Winston, was it a Mike Evans week or was it a Chris Godwin week? And so you have to kind of mix that up. The guy who won the FanDuel Millie Maker last year in week one, the reason he won was because of Sammy Watkins. Remember, he went off for, for three touchdowns and he kind of got to share a little bit of 
about how he landed on Sammy Watkins. He said, honestly, Sammy Watkins was not like someone he pegged as the breakout guy, but he was in the mix that week. He was in his player pool of guys that he said, I kind of like this guy, but I'm not going to be overweight on someone like Sammy Watkins. And that's what you need to do. You need to, at the very end, say, I could be wrong on some of this. If I'm playing in a big tournament, you know what? I need to have Sammy Watkins, but you probably had more Tyreek Hill in your lineup in week one if you were stacking Chiefs. And so that's that's just important to leave some room for error. And that's why with backwards design, you're starting with the narrative, you're identifying the inefficiencies, and then you're selecting your players. Yeah, I think that's a great strategy, specifically for like GPP tournament style, for sure. I mean, it's so tempting to log in on a Tuesday morning or you know whenever you start looking at like the lineups and be like, you'll notice, I mean, if you go in the lobby, it's insane how many people already have entered lineups. And it's just like, you need more time to kind of understand and think about, you can't just go off what just happened last week. You kind of need to have that narrative in your head. Like you're saying, really look at, okay, uh, the pricing is mismatched for player X versus player Y. And then like you said too, you know, with the Sammy Watkins specific uh, example, no one really wanted to play Sammy Watkins, right? So no, he, no one owned him in that tournament. But that is kind of what you have to do as well is also kind of think outside the box. Is like, okay, every single person, every analyst, every article I read says that this player is going to be very, very good this week. And some DFS content is free for a lot of people, including this show. There's going to be a lot of people consuming that content that hear the same thing you do. So being willing to be like, well, they're talking about Tyree Kill. They're talking about the Chiefs. What happens if Sammy Watkins is the one that goes off for three touchdowns and just goes bananas? Um, so, yes, that's a fantastic example of how to execute that strategy. I, I like that quite a bit. Yeah, and that's how you figure out what are the pivots, you know, and and like Demarcus Robinson, he had that one week where he went off. Yeah. I don't really know if, I ros- if anyone rostered him after that by any means, but you need to be able to locate this game's going to go off and everyone's saying it's going to be Tyreek and Mahomes. What if this week it's not? What if it's Kelsey and what if it's DeAndre Washington? But those are for giant tournaments um, where you have to get really, you know, kind of crazy and it matters how much money you put in. But overall, those are some of the basic things that we think would be helpful to start the conversation. But honestly, we're both available on Twitter. I think those kind of conversations are love ones we love to have. I've already had a couple people reach out to me and say, how did you get started in talking about fantasy football in general and then even DFS? And so I kind of get to share just DMs or uh, through, through our articles to kind of explain those things. So yeah, we're more than willing to share. We want to be accessible. And that's why on the show, we get to get into the mailbag. mailbag mailbag so we want to get into i just have three or four questions here and that's for this first one's from jay storm on twitter he says i'm brand new to dfs this year how do i start learning about pricing and how to pick and create lineups for the next year before the start of week one i think based off this question this person is asking kind of like like how do i look at the lineups for week one and understand what the pricing means. Is that how you're taking the question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about a couple of, of players that we think are undervalued in their initial pricing for week one. And that's, of course, based off of um, the redraft prep we're doing, the season long work that we're doing, and that whole sort of thing. But really, you know, when you look at um, week one and you start to learn about pricing, you'll also notice that as the week goes by, or as the year goes by, I should say, that the, the trend of a certain player will tell you a lot about how people value that player. For example, last year, Michael Thomas was just insane. He was so good and he was always north of like 9,000, somewhere, sometimes upwards of 10,000 on DraftKings specifically. And when players, when players peak, when, they're, when their production goes up, the price will also start to go up most of the time. But you need to have kind of more of a long-term look at it, not just week one. Look at long-term and say, okay, over the past four, five, six weeks, this player is averaging X amount of points or X yards or whatever metric you want to use or or stat you want to use and understand that, okay, maybe that spike week right there that they just had and their price went up wasn't really necessary. So I'm going to, you know, fade them this week, for example. And, And I think that's kind of how you can use pricing to your advantage. But for week one specifically, I really encourage using the um, the UDK and kind of looking at how those players are being valued. And then like we did, just look at, at the order in which they're 
you know, their price, like Terry McLaurin at wide receiver 25 or Kenyon Drake at running back 14. No one has those players in their rankings, right, at, at those spots. So um, that's how you find value. That's how I think you win in DFS, especially in week one. Yeah, you can peruse right now the DraftKings or FanDuel uh, apps, and there's some free contests, and that's what I would tell people to do. If you're, like, not ready to, you know, commit to a certain – you know, game right now, cash or GPP, there's some free ones out there that you can just look at the pricing, kind of scroll through, make some, you know, lineups that you'll never think about again because they're free just to try it out. On our DFS pass, we do have the pricing available for every single person. We also have the inefficiencies where we compare between FanDuel and DK, who's a better value on which website. And I love that tool because I, I look every single week and you can click on the values and you can say, wow, this running back for some reason is underpriced relative to where he is on FanDuel. And so on DraftKings, I'm going to get this guy, you know, for about 3% cheaper than I could elsewhere. And he's going to be in my lineup because he catches passes. So Chris Thompson's one that I looked at for DK. He's 4,000. If you think that he's going to get some passing down work against the Colts in week one, I'd I don't mind him as kind of a flex play if you're stacking with Gardner Minshew. Uh, that could be a really slow game uh, with Phillip Rivers. They might just try to run the ball. But uh, I love looking at our tools, which we're going to get into next week, and how you can use those to your advantage just by simply clicking through. We do all the work for you. It's pretty great. All right. Next one's from Randall H. He said, what week would you start putting rookie wide receivers in consideration in DFS? And I, I think that's a good question because it's the narrative is that wide receivers take a while to develop. And, you know, usually by midpoint of the year to later on, they come through. So you think about Debo Samuel last year, AJ Brown went bananas, uh, Darius Slayton, you know, second half of the year, he was, he was awesome, especially for DFS. So do you think about that in terms of constructing your roster rookie wide receivers at all? I think it depends on your selection of what contest type you're playing in. If you want to start throwing rookies in in your lineup in week one in these huge tournaments, by all means, go for it. I mean, Terry McLaurin, Exhibit A last year, went off and I guarantee you wasn't very owned <laughs> in tournaments. Um, and he went off. Now, that's not the normal. We're not projecting that. That's not the, the optimal outcome, so to speak, of what I would do in a cash lineup. But certainly, I think the confidence that you have in these players, kind of these rookies specifically, as the year goes by, is going to grow. And with that, it will as well for other DFS players. So I think this is a really sneaky way to get an, an advantage in those bigger tournaments. If you're trying to win against thousands of people, you know, people aren't going to want to do that. They're going to want to play who they know, the Julio Joneses, the Michael Thomases, the et cetera, et cetera. Um, not a lot of people are going to play rookies. And so they're a consideration for me. And I'll have a few of them in week one in those bigger tournaments. But for cash, I'm going to wait and play them probably later in the year, just like I would in redraft. Yeah, it's so hard to trust a rookie week one in cash lineups. Um, I'm just looking. Brandon Ayuk is 5,200. If you were thinking that's usable on FanDuel, I mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo earlier. I don't mind that. It's just the volume. When you're thinking about DFS, the volume really is king. And because there's so many unknowns about rookies, I can't just bank on, I know Jerry Judy's going to get seven targets week one. Could he? Yeah, I mean, he totally could. But I can't bank on that, and so it's really hard for me to put my money behind a player like that. Rookie wide receivers are the people that you usually take a wait-and-see approach in DFS. Uh, in those large tournaments, though, there will be players, you know, maybe it's the Justin Jefferson week one instead of Thielen. It's him. I, I It's just hard to predict those right now. And so... By all means, if you think that's going to help you win a tournament, go for it. I wouldn't go heavy on it. I would just say that maybe you stack whatever whatever quarterback you're using, stack the rookie wide receiver instead of maybe the the other guy that you think is a little bit more uh, well known. I think I said wookie there instead of rookie. You did confirmed. <laughs> Which I feel like would be a solid strategy for teams to use. It's kind of like Jason's Yao Ming strategy. If you've ever yes. heard him. Use that. I feel like a Wookiee wide receiver uh, wouldn't be that bad uh, for, for DFS. We're all firing right. on all cylinders today. <laughs> all right. Um, Jake Bevins, Bevins. I'll call you Bevins. Jake Bevins says, why shouldn't 
So whenever people say that on Twitter, tell me why I'm wrong about this or they're setting us up to fail. But why shouldn't I take Jonathan Taylor at 5,400 on FanDuel in week one? Again, in a tournament, go ahead, do it. I mean, that's going to be something that's exciting. It's going to be intriguing to watch. And if you're trying to win against thousands of people, it's different. But a lot of a lot of the uh, the cash game lineups that win are with stud running backs. That's the foundation of where you want to go most often in cash game lineups. And, and clearly, I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor isn't a stud. But when I say stud, I'm talking about like the elite of the elite, the Zeeks, the Christian McCaffrey's, the Saquon Barkley's, Alvin Kamara, etc. That's kind of where you want to build your foundation in a cash lineup. So I'm not going to play Jonathan Taylor in cash in week one. Because also the fact we just talked about it last week, there's a real realistic scenario where Marlon Mack is actually the player you want in week one. And until we have more information about what that backfield looks like, to me, Jonathan Taylor in week one is just a tournament play. But again, if you want to do it and and shoot for the moon in that type of setting, that's fine. The matchup is intriguing. They play the Jaguars and I could see them showcase Jonathan Taylor, a player they traded up for. But everything we've heard, is Marlon Mack is going to be the guy. And so you can't in your good conscience say Jonathan Taylor is going to get 20 carries. I he He's a workhorse guy, but what do you think in terms of touches for week one, where do you set the over under at? With the matchup involved, because I do think we can see him in the fourth quarter. I would put it at like 10 and a half. Yeah, that's just, that's not enough for me to say, um, I can count on it. Could he fall into two touchdowns? Uh, Yeah, I still think Naheem Hines is going to get his work. I just put out an article about vacated targets and which running backs to kind of target. And Naheem Hines is still the guy on third down for me. He's not just going to fall off the field. And if he's not getting, let's say Jonathan Taylor gets, I don't know, eight to 10 rushing attempts and two targets. Is that enough to return value? It's not the volume that I want, but 5,400 on FanDuel is enough to mix in in tournaments, but you might have to mix in Mac as well. I'm Mac 6,100, and that's that's a huge difference for me. I think that yeah. that's definitely mispriced. Yes, I agree 100%. I was just going to say that that is a misprice for sure. I think we'll take advantage of that in our lineups in week one. All right, let's do one more. And this is from Trent Rye. And he he talks about how do you each personally manage your bankroll in relation to cash and 50-50s versus GPP? I kind of mentioned that before, but I was also just thinking about what kind of contests do you play? Is there any specific, maybe not named ones, but just is there a dollar amount that you're like, oh, for cash, I'm thinking about this in terms of what I'm putting in. And for GPPs, is there a certain amount that you stay with? Yeah, so for me in cash lineups, like I I typically will play a lot of the $1 lineups, which sounds like super lame because you win, I think it's like $1.80. So you're winning 80 cents on a dollar. But the idea with that is that you can have way more of a sample size. So let's say that you want to play $100 in cash this week. Well, rather than playing in 250 lineups, like $50 and $50 where you could lose both of those, even if you have an awesome lineup, but if your process is correct, and this is what I was going back to earlier, if your process is correct and you win, let's say like 70 of the hundred dollar ones, you're going to come out on top that's and nice. it sounds really lame, but it, it does work long-term. And that's a strategy I've employed uh, a lot in DFS. So for me, that's kind of how I manage my bankroll. It's more of those smaller contests, but play a lot of them because I mean, hey, I'm listening to Kyle here on the, on the DFS pod. I'm reading the DFS pass. I think I know my stuff kind of thing. So I feel like I can I can win that way. Um, and then in, in GPPs for me, I will, it's kind of, again, that 80-20 rule. I probably go about 70-30. I've had a little more confidence in recent years with GPPs. But for me, I'm still mostly a cash game player um, at this stage. And then kind of moving forward, I plan to transition more and more to G- GPPs as I get more confident in the process. Yeah, with cash lineups, you can think about it like a staircase. And for the dollar cash lineups, I'm probably going to do, let's say you did 10 to 20 of those. You put down 20 bucks on 20 different lineups. And then I'm going to take the next step up and say, you know what, I'm going to do a couple of $5 cash ones as well. 
but maybe only do five to 10 of those. And then I'm going to take another step up and say, I'm going to do two $10 cash lineups. So you're basically setting yourself up like a stair system where you're not overloading yourself, but you're giving a chance to kind of work those different tiers and different lineups cash at different moments. You know, there's going to be some dollar lineups that people play a ton of that cash differently than the $5 ones and the $10 ones. And it's frustrating sometimes when you have a really good lineup in the dollar one and then $10 one, uh, (laughs) you don't win. But start to think of it like a staircase. And then for me, I've started to become more of a GPP player. I'm probably like 60-40 right now. We're actually playing more GPPs at this point. It's been most of the research that I've done with footballers is looking at matchups, looking at Cornerback wide receiver matchups is another article I do in the DFS pass. I, I like thinking the strategy about GPP. Sometimes though, you go down a rabbit hole of, of convincing yourself like this is the week that the third string tight end is the guy that scores the touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> and you could talk yourself into some crazy stuff. I'll also just add with GPP, um, try to stay off uh, Twitter a little bit before <laughs> before you start um making all your decisions like take we usually say take Tuesday and Wednesday to just write on a sheet of paper your thoughts and then we get to come in on Wednesday Thursday Friday with articles our podcast comes out on Friday and inform you but I think it's when you get so crazy into stuff on Tuesday that you convince yourself that this is the week for Cole Beasley that uh you lock him in all your lineups you press that lock button and you get two catches for 10 yards from Cole Beasley I don't think Whoops. you want that. <laughs> I did. I will say this about Cole Beasley. When he was a cowboy, I had him for a, a two or three touchdown game one year in a GPP. And uh, I, I did pretty well in that one. Um, but super lucky, super fortunate that Cole Beasley did some big things. I know he's still Mike's boy. Oh, yeah. The Beasles. Got to get the Beasles. So... Before we head out, I want to mention once again, underdog fantasy, something that we play every single day. I'm still in a draft right now. I'm waiting. I'm I'm the next person up in the queue. Uh, Sign up today at underdog fantasy and enter the best ball mania for a chance at a million dollars in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or searching for underdog fantasy in your app store. And I can't recommend it enough. It's something that we play all the time. Footballers have a specific best ball segment with underdog on Fridays is just a great way to spend, you know, if you're going to do a 30 second draft or an eight hour uh, per pick, it's a great way to, to spend some time to prepare for your regular draft. So before we head out, any last thoughts you have bets, man, football is here. Hard knocks is on. Uh, I mean, it's coming and I can't wait. I'm so, so excited for this season. I hope you guys will stick with us. Subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss a show because we got so, so much coming for you guys this year. Uh, but man, I, I'm, I'm just happy. I'm excited. <laughs> He's a happy man. He's a happy married man. Yeah, tune in next week. We're going to be talking about DFS tools and research and maybe get to hear more from the mailbag. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.